Welcome to the Moving Up Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Wilson, and I'm here to dish out practical advice through experience to help you elevate your business and your life. I'm the owner and CEO of the Wilson Group Real Estate Services here in Nashville, Tennessee. We're going to be covering a variety of topics in real estate, and you'll also be hearing from expert leaders in the personal development and entrepreneurship communities. So pull up a seat because we're about to have a lot of fun. It's time for you to move up. Well, today it's my pleasure to welcome Jeff Devereaux. Jeff, welcome to the Moving Up Podcast. Yes, welcome. Happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Happy to have you here. Happy to have you representing Studio Bank here. Yes, yes. So to kick it off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Let's see. I have been in banking since, oh gosh, basically my whole career. 1994, started with Union Planners Bank in Memphis. Yes, Uh, I remember Union Planners. I remember you. (laughs) I do too. And transferred from Memphis to Nashville with Union Planners. Actually, my wife was offered a position here in town, um, and I moved with Union Planners. And was with their retail banking group, and then moved over into mortgage banking with Union Planners in 2000. So, specifically mortgage banking now. 21 years now, I guess. Yeah. Um, We've probably known each other our whole careers. Totally. And I forgot all about union planners. I mean, yeah. they, they were a rock star mortgage company. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were a bank, but, you know, their mortgage division was, I forgot all about that. Maggie Griffith gave me a chance Maggie. to be a mortgage loan officer. Yeah. At the, at the time, I was uh, managing a retail bank branch for union planners and kind of hit that proverbial wall that I wanted to do something different, but I really enjoyed the company I was with and the people I worked for and, you know, always had a had a passion for lending. And so it kind of drove me to mortgage and Maggie said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a chance. And she's like, here's $1,500 a month for three months. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and that's called a draw. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> My wife at the time was uh, we were we were at a stage where we were ready to start a family, and I think she was thinking along the lines of of maybe not having to work anymore. And yeah. I was like, "Well, uh, you may want to put that on hold. I'm going <laughs> <laughs> to try something a little different." Out. Yeah, I this and uh, it went phenomenally well, and and I've never looked back. And it's been you know the greatest thing. I spent ten years with Union Planners. Oh gosh! Uh, then went took a job in Knoxville with First Tennessee First Horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved Mama from home. My wife was originally from Hendersonville, so we went to Knoxville. That was quite an experience, but it was offered an opportunity to come back with Am South Bank. Okay, and was with Am South for a few years until Regions acquired Am South. Right, and Regions had actually acquired Union Planners right uh, before I'd left them. So. Right. I've, I've kind of pseudo worked for regions uh, twice now, but not directly. But then left uh, after that merger uh, and went to work for First State Bank uh, at a Union City, which is now Simmons Bank, and spent yeah. 10 years with them um, in the mortgage production, was their mortgage president for them. And then um, the opportunity, I went to go work for Guarantee Trust in Murfreesboro and I had a great experience there and then was approached from the people starting studio, who you knew, during their capital raise. Just really had a compelling story on what they were trying to start. And I I made a personal decision to actually invest in the bank personally before even really entertaining going to work for them and decided to, to join them. I joined the bank, oh gosh, three, probably three months before the 
FDIC approval. Okay. So studio, yeah, I used to refer to it as a startup bank. We're officially no longer a startup I know. bank. Isn't that exciting? So yeah, so we've uh we've graduated from the three year de novo period. So as a de novo bank, you're basically deemed a startup bank for a minimum of three years while you're going through some pretty exhaustive audits, you know, from the FDIC and we just passed in June, and, and so now they kind of took our training wheels off, and we're we're a big boy bank now. Yippee! And, and it's been a, just a phenomenal ride. Just yeah. uh, our company is is you know the bank's made up of gosh, I think we're up to five hundred investors. Eighty percent are local investors, like Christy, myself. I mean, it's it it is a hyper local mm-hmm. community bank, just based right here in Nashville, and and. And it feels like all the cool kids in Nashville <laughs> are invested in Studio well, Bank. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I probably mean, bring the cool factor down. Yeah, you don't, no, hardly. <laughs> if you ask my daughter, she'll tell you I do. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about Studio Bank. I mean, I could tell it, but I mean, you weren't yeah. there. I'm, I'm the biggest fan, one of the biggest cheerleaders for this bank. I love it. Aaron Dorn, our, our CEO, was basically his. This was his baby. I think him and Harry Allen, our mm-hmm. chief relationship officer. They kind of really put their heads together and started rounding up some others from Old Avenue cohorts um, and, and birthed the idea that Nashville needed another a new bank. Uh, they kind of foresaw a lot of disruption that was probably going to happen in the market as, as we've been watching play out. Mm-hmm. And so it, they started raising money and had a just a phenomenal success. We started the bank with roughly $50 million in capital. And just hit the ground running. Um, and it's just taken off. It's been, you know, we're, we're a very hyper local bank, like I mentioned earlier. We really are, you know, community centric, very high service, high touch. You know, it's been a winning formula so far. Um, and I think something the market was was looking for. Banks have just gotten larger and larger. And I think people have felt out of touch. And, and we've been able to step in and fill that need and void. Right. Yeah. And you've done a great job. The service is so great at Studio Bank. So Harry Allen, who you mentioned, is my banker. And I had a deposit one time and um, I called Harry because they don't have the bricks and mortar. I mean, you have the the build, your building, but not like a bank on every corner. And you just do your mobile deposit up to a certain amount. And this check did not fall under that uh, mobile amount. And And Harry was always like, oh, if you need somebody to come pick up a check for a deposit, let us know. So I called him, expected, you know, I don't know, a processor or somebody to come. And <laughs> Harry showed up at the office and I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm here to pick up your deposit. I'm going, huh, that's impressive. That That is the level of service I like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's a great guy. It's, it, it is, you know, priority number one. Yeah. Uh, and I know everyone says that. They always say, oh, we differentiate ourselves by our customer service. <laughs> and yeah. Like, well, so does everybody. But. Yeah. Well, if you don't, you sort of fail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so You do. And, and and it is, though, there is a, a very authentic emphasis on the trust and the relationship that we build with our clients and, and at least trying to really provide that level of service where they're going to they're going to tell someone they had a great experience. And, yeah. you know, that's. That's your best advertising. Right. You know, that is true. Bar none. So in the mortgage department there, so you are the head of the mortgage department. Correct. And how many mortgage lenders do you guys have? So we, that's a good question because we, we've we got multiple people on the team that are licensed originators. Some, some that's their full-time role with the company. Some do some, a combination of some operations work, but also originate. Um, and so we've, we currently have seven loan officers uh, here and looking to add more. Mm-hmm. Uh, our bank is expanding into Williamson County, so that's going to be our first official expansion location. So that was another big milestone 
for us. And so we're, we're growing there. Again, we're just all right here in Nashville and serving, you know, all the mortgage needs for greater Nashville, but we can do loans across the country as a federally charter bank. Yeah. And before I forget, I want to thank Studio Bank for being the sponsor yes, of yes. the Moving Up podcast. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. We were, we were delighted you asked yeah. and, and happy to accept and hopefully the check clears. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's in the mail. It did. <laughs> right on, right on. Well, Heather and I have several questions that we're going to be asking you today, Jeff, just sure. to, for our our listeners to understand our podcast. We know we have a lot of real estate agents listening, a lot of new agents as well as experienced agents, and then just general non-real estate people who love real estate, who love the entrepreneurial spirit of it all. So some questions may seem pretty easy, some may not. Um, So we're we're just trying to cover the gambit of it all. And some of them should be easy to me and still aren't. I hear you. you. I've learned how to say, I'll find out. Uh (laughs) I've learned to be very humble. (laughs) Very humble. So one thing that always comes to mind for any buyer is interest rates. Everybody wants to talk about interest rates and who's got the best rate. So let's say someone's getting a loan. It's just a $500,000 loan. They're putting 20% down. They have good credit. When I say good credit, over $750,000. Right. What in today's environment, what would an interest rate be around with good credit? With good credit, 30-year fixed money is back down in the twos again. We've been just very fortunate in this low rate environment for it to have held. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, most people should be able to get an interest rate somewhere in the low threes to high twos Mm -hmm. with good credit, 20% down, and really dependent on the loan type. Much of it depends on if they're buying a home as their primary residence Mm -hmm. versus it being a second home or even an investment property. That does impact your interest rate for sure. Certainly, you end up with a higher interest rate if it's not your primary residence. So, Mm -hmm. You know, that's where you are going to get the best rate. And it's, you know, it's it's a great time to be buying real estate right now with these interest rates. Now, granted, to your benefit, all the home prices are going up, yeah. to, you know, <laughs> to all our benefits uh, until we have to buy it. Right, right. But, you know, that's certainly makes it a little bit easier to afford, you know, a higher priced home when you're financing at such a low interest rate. So... It's really, and these these rates have held like this now, it feels like, for 10 years. I mean, it's just I mean, really it's, been, every year they keep saying, rates are going up. I, I'm like, well, heck, you've been saying yeah. that forever, you know. And, <laughs> and that's the question I have for you. I mean, because truly, when we talk about this low lending rate environment, I mean, it's been low for more than 10 years. I mean, 2007, I guess, is when they really started coming down. I mean, into the fours. It's really, and it's really hard to... To forecast, you know, the easiest thing is to always say that I think they're going to go up, you know, because it's just, they're like, oh gosh, surely they can't go lower. And then they do. You know? <laughs> I mean, when they went to the twos, we're all like, what yeah. just yeah. happened? It was, you know, that, that was quite a run, especially during the pandemic when the rates dropped that low, because it, all of a sudden it's just, you know, and it really, I guess, started in 2019 and, and it's just went through a major refinance boom Mm -hmm. and really helped a lot of families get them into a much better financial position, being able to refinance their houses. And, you know, because so many different people were impacted differently with their income during the pandemic. And so those refinances helped a lot of families. Yeah. It also created some challenges with people needing financing. You know, you had people during this time and their income dropped. And of course, you know, how are we approving loans? We want you to show how much money you make and that and that, that income is going to be stable, you know, and that it's going up and not down, you know, and we had so many people's income was going down during that time. Right. 
so it did create some challenges from a qualification standpoint. So to that point, because we did see a lot of that with our with our own clients, oh, with totally. our own buyers, totally. where and, and a lot of financing falling through. I yep. always say, put a backup contract on if you've you know it does not hurt you at all to put a backup contract because you we've seen more weird things in the financing piece totally. of it and a home inspection piece too, different oh. reasons for a deal to fall through. But because of that, the declining income right. um, for people, I mean, does that just stop the loan in its tracks? <sighs> yes and no. Um, for COVID reasons, we're, we're, I'm, I'm saying because we're, we're back in it, correct. right? We're, we yeah. are back in it. What we've been able to see to qualify buyers who had, you know, let's say specifically their, their tax return in 2020 showed a significant less amount of money made than, than the prior year. And a lot of it being COVID. So a lot of self-employed people had, went through that problem. Right. We've been able to qualify self-employed borrowers who are now able to show that the income has has rebounded, has come back up. Okay. And so what is being asked of borrowers, even more so than in the past, is CPA prepared profit and loss statements for their 2021. If they have the ability to show us that their income has rebounded, then we're able to take that into consideration, especially if you go back and take like a 2019 tax return. And in 2020 was this just big blip. Yeah. And we're able to we're able to show that it's that the income's rebounded. Then it is now getting people the ability to finance homes that it did stop people in their tracks. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of unintended consequences, even with the forbearance and right and doing that. And people would take that. And then all of a sudden the secondary market investors would say, well, we're not lending money to someone who's done that. It was and in so, forbearance, right? Yeah. So it's, there's been a lot of learning experience. Right. You know, every, everyone seems to be slow to react to fix something, but when they do, it's kind of like this overreaction. Mm -hmm. And then and we all lending. And, and, right. It's totally lending. And it's, then we scrambled on how do yeah. we how do we work around this? It's that's so interesting because I've I've been doing this so long now. I've seen the pendulum swing both ways. And you're just every time you're going, what? Why? <laughs> There's I mean, I guess it's the world in which yeah. we live. There's yeah. no common sense. It's like we we can sit around and talk about what's common sense, but why the powers that be can't operate under a common sense type of <laughs> mentality. The, the intentions come from a good place. Sure. Uh, but usually it, it does seem like it's always an overreaction to try to fix something. And it ends up hurting the borrower when, right. when it was intended to help. Right. Okay. So you've gotten your 2020 taxes done. You're seeing a decline in income due to COVID. Right. Your 2021, let's say somebody's wanting to qualify for a loan right now. So they do their right. profit and loss. And this is for pretty much for self-employed borrowers mm -hmm. right. through July. Let's right. say you're, you're, you're to date July P&L. What if it hasn't rebounded as good as it was in 2019, so but still much better than what 2020 was looking uh, Usually right? that's when we're averaging. Okay. You know? So you're, you're always, at any time we're taking multiple tax returns, we're averaging, you know, anyways. Yeah. But it's then giving us the ability to establish a, a more stable average monthly income that we can you know, reliably or reasonably reliably count on that uh, income is going to sustain there. And and at that average level can sustain the debt that they're taking on. Got it. Got it. So when we talk about HELOCs, because Studio does the HELOCs, we which do. is the home equity line of credit for those who don't know that, or a second mortgage, and you just sort of acts like a credit card, if you will, on your mortgage. Correct. Do the same qualifying ratios, is it the same type of qualifying to for your HELOC as it would be for your primary mortgage? Typically so, yes. Okay. Most banks, when they're qualifying you for a HELOC, even though you know you always hear HELOCs are interest only, and so you're basically, the, the monthly repayment 
is just whatever the monthly interest due, but we don't qualify. The bank doesn't qualify the borrower based on just an interest only payment. So we're going to amortize whatever the uh, balance of the HELOC is going to be and come up with a payment, make sure that, that they can repay the debt and mm -hmm. that, that they, they're not only able to just repay some small monthly interest amount. The amount of equity you can get in a HELOC varies from bank to bank. Mm -hmm. uh, typically, you'll see about max, they may go up to about 90%. So whatever the value of your home is, you know, take 90% of that and subtract out your first mortgage balance. And then that's how much of a, an equity line you can typically get depending on size of the house or dollar value of the house. Okay. You get into larger million-dollar-plus properties, then we're going to limit those max loan values at 80% or less. So okay. Because it does vary from that standpoint. Gotcha. Um, and rates vary. Credit score, you know, however much, how much of that equity you are going to borrow against, your rate can vary for that. Right. This is Jeff Devereaux, Mortgage Banking Executive, Studio Bank. Studio Bank is passionate about what our members create, and we're here to support you through the process. We provide capital and services to build businesses. We offer mortgage and home loan options, whether you're a first-time home buyer or purchasing your fifth home. We work with artists to reach their audiences. We help nonprofits transform our community. And often the most important work we do is simply empowering individuals to pursue their dreams. We're here because what you create matters. Let's create something together. Visit studiobank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender, NMLS number 176-1767. So it's interesting to me that right now I feel like there's a lot of people getting HELOCs or getting second mortgages on their home or just doing a full-on refinance because, the, like I said, the rates are so, so low. In twenty in two thousand seven two thousand eight, when we saw the market crash because of the mortgage lending situation, we don't we don't have that now because the the lending did completely correct itself. Totally, I mean, and it was like you said that knee jerk, yeah. but it needed to, that one needed to really be a, a knee jerk. I think uh, I would agree. Do you see any challenges coming down the pike with as many HELOCs out there that people were in a fabulous equity position on their home and now there may be and granted, you said, you know, you only go 80 to 90% of the equity. Do you see any complications with that coming down the road? Yes. Okay. Because <laughs> I think about that sometimes. I'm well, like, I, you know, and, and, that's, and that's why typically banks try to limit the maximum amount of equity they'll lend out on these lines because, you know, they don't want to see if we do have any type of real estate correction and someone's sitting on their home and next thing you know, what was 90% now could be 100% mm -hmm. um, if they had to sell their house fast or if or values come back. So I think that always is a concern because usually people are taking this equity out more times than not. They're taking it out not to do improvements of the home to the home. Right. So they're not adding to the value of the home with the additional debt they're taking out on it. More times than not, it's either debt consolidation kids tuition mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know yes. i mean and so there's a lot of reasons why people are taking those helocs out but also a lot have have been taken out for home improvements uh, i think we've seen because of the pandemic so many people spending so much time in their homes mm -hmm. they're like well gosh if i gotta spend so much time in this thing i, I want to get it 
nicer than I had, yeah, or I, I want to like add it. the outdoor living space to mm -hmm. it, or I want to finally get around to updating my bathrooms because I'm spending more time. I'm probably not going to leave it. So usually you're, we're seeing people doing that. And hopefully if we're fortunate enough and values keep going up, then selfishly as a mortgage lender, I'm like, they're going to want to then turn around and combine that first and second and get it into one loan. Yep. What we've seen and a lot of time, a lot of reasons that so much of those HELOCs were happening were were borrowers or buyers trying to avoid having to get jumbo financing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you've got a typical conforming loan limit right now. Agency is 548250 And so some we had a lot of people needing to borrow $750,000 because they were buying a $900,000 house. And so they were taking out the, the 550 first and an equity line for the second. And so we'll see a lot of com combo loans, I think, getting paid off as those limits rise. You know, that's something I'm looking forward to that should help the whole industry is we'll have new agency loan limits come up next year. And you would think with as high as the home values have come, that 548-250, I hope, raises significantly uh, and creates easier financing for people buying these higher priced homes. Who sets that rate or that limit, I guess? Well, ceiling. Basically, it's Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Uh, you know, they are the agency that that is backing these loans. But uh, I guess the the governing bodies, of, God, HFPA or the, uh, one of the initials. Somebody, yeah, <laughs> one of those initial <laughs> yeah. entities. <laughs> Don't quote me on that because <laughs> I'm probably supposed to know exactly who. I mean, it's probably That's conjunction the of the show. That's with regulars. Right. I don't know. I don't know some initials. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny too. Speaking of initials, you know, there's so many acronyms in real estate, both on the lending side, the real estate side. Yeah. And when I'm training a new agent, and you're just so used to talking to these three letter acronyms, yeah. they're like, what, what, what? And yeah. uh, so, so for instance, on the lending side, FHFA, I believe, is right. probably involved in working in conjunction with the agencies, which is Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. <laughs> Coming up with what that loan limit is, and they and they do that loan limit. They have a uh, what they call a super conforming loan limit that actually varies state to state. If there's areas that have higher price, you know, so the West Coast can do a has a higher super conforming loan limit than Birmingham, right? Yeah. Um, but so does you know even Nashville, yeah. Does. And so it it runs up to almost six hundred thousand. So right. there are. There are ways to get that loan limit where you're avoiding jumbo financing if possible. Right. Because uh, that, that does make it a little bit more difficult to get a loan when you're dealing with jumbo underwriting guidelines and the rates involved usually quite aren't, aren't quite as good. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Although now it seems like jumbo rates and a normal rate are sort of hand in hand they, in lockstep. They, they, they have come back significantly. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. And I, I I wish I could predict the way the liquidity seems to happen in the jumbo market, but it has come back. You know, we we've here recently added some new jumbo secondary market investors because the pricing's back. The guidelines aren't quite as strict as they typically were. So mm -hmm. I'm guessing a lot of it is in response to these rapidly rising home values. And so the investment banks are comfortable in the loans on you know, the million dollar loans used to seem like an anomaly. And now it's like, oh my God, it's, it's insane what goes on around here. I mean, I mean a million yeah. dollars it's is a 300,000. It mm -hmm. feels like. Yeah, there's, I mean, it doesn't feel like there's any affordable housing anymore. And it's, it's tough. That's a big, it's a it's, big challenge. 
Between that and the investor companies that come up and oh, come in uh, and buy up all these homes, these where and takes depl- out the they've first They've depleted time. the affordable housing inventory. Yeah, yes. and and com- created complete rental neighborhoods, and yeah. it's just a shame. It's I mean, one thing if they took care of it, but they don't. It's and, a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. I think a lot of people will say they foresaw it, but. No one really did anything about it. Yeah. And so it's too late. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I I don't know what corrects that, honestly, other than new developments and tighter restrictions and who who's being actually allowed to buy right. lots and properties. But right. you've got whole communities now that feel like that they're predominantly owned by mm-hmm. you know, someone some in REIT. Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. Phoenix. Someone in Phoenix owns this. Yeah. <laughs> some yeah. It's tough. Now, are you seeing what I call exotic loans, the loans of yesteryear, the no-doc loans, stated income loans, things yes like that. No. So, you know, a lot of people now refer to that as a non-QM loan. Right. But they're, they're nothing like the subprime loans. Uh, I mean, to the defense of the non-QM loan space, I think their average credit scores are still plenty high. They're still documenting their loans. You know, I mean, it's just, it's usually dynamics where someone has a challenge in documenting their income to standard secondary market guidelines. Um, and so there's there's plenty out there, and I believe they're performing everything I've read about them. Okay. Um, I want to say but QM. I, for- but I don't think they're the... I don't think I think we there's someone's like Nina Nee, no income, no asset, no employment, no you know. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those <laughs> I don't even know if they checked to see if there was a pulse. To be honest, <laughs> but uh, I I haven't seen it. Okay. I, I do I do suspect it is probably uh, rearing its ugly head in some aspect, just because I think you've got people that are willing to take a chance on the collateral. Yeah. Is what it is. Yeah. Uh, they're just they're protecting themselves by not lending as much money on the collateral. So, you know, they're like, heck, a, you know, a house in Nashville, I'll take a risk on lending against it. Sure. You know, it's, it's, it's not that risky, uh, right? You know, it right. just doesn't feel now, that risky, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, knock on wood. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, um, turn on your crystal ball here, and uh, so rates yeah. are going to stay low. Prices will continue to appreciate. Um, those are sort of my predictions yeah. for for the middle Tennessee. I, I, I would would wholeheartedly stand by that. Yeah, I would too. I think we're. I always say it's a marathon, not a sprint, right now. Yeah. And you know, we we're always in this industry making hay while the sun shines. But I feel like we have oh, completely so many sunshiny days ahead of us. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I really do. And, and we're blessed in this market. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that. We, we do have the benefit of somewhat of a bubble um, in a fantasy bubble, not meaning like, you know, it's going to pop. You know, I think we're we're lucky compared to other markets that haven't had it this good. Speaking of insane in Nashville in this market, do you have any crazy mortgage stories? Do y'all get crazy mortgage? <laughs> like we can come up with crazy real estate yeah, stories all the time. Yes and no. I, I hear one a lot and I think I think we've even talked about it. You know, before you always have that the name affidavit type dynamics where someone all of a sudden sees a name and it's usually usually a husband wife dynamic and they're putting this document out and and it's all these different names and so I've heard stories. The one that I've been involved in, I wouldn't even call this crazy, but I, I do give warning to. Married individuals getting a loan, be aware that when you show up at these closings, you know, you are signing documents that has a lot of information that's been shared by one spouse or the other. And we've 
aggregated it all through their credit report and onto an application. And so I've sat at a table before where all of a sudden it was found out that one spouse had taken out a bunch of debt and mm-hmm. didn't know about it. And yep. It was World War Three at the, at the closing table over. I've seen that too. Oh, <laughs> wow. So, those are, those are some, some crazy dynamics, but uh, luckily I have not been involved in anything too off, off the board other, other than I've closed loans on the hood of a car before and yeah. stuff like that, <laughs> <laughs> wherever you, wherever you could get someone to sign well, documents, right. you know, before, that's right. this was the, the pre electronic signature days. I'm sure, I'm sure you probably got better ones than I have. Well, the name affidavit, talking about that. So for our listeners who don't know, when you're at a closing, you'll have a document put in front of you as the buyer, which is a name affidavit that shows all the different ways your name has been shown in a credit report. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe they put the wrong initial, maybe your name got misspelled somewhere and you have to sign that that is some variation of your name. Maiden names, prior married names. Right. Right. All kinds. I was in a closing one time and this woman... And this is early in my career. Yeah. And she had been married five times. Oh, wow. Her name affidavit was seven <laughs> pages long. And she said, the attorney was even like, and she sat in there and just laughed and laughed. Checked and laughed. Them all she off. thought it was so funny. Oh, I forgot about this one. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm literally, I may have been 27, 28 years old. Yeah. And I'm going, how can someone be married five times? You know, it's just yeah, yeah. incomprehensible to me unless you're Zsa Gabor or something yeah. like that. <laughs> she had. So uh, note to self, if you have been married before and you haven't told your spouse and right. you go to a closing, you're closing together, it, those names will show up. Really? That's your name? Uh, yeah. yeah, really. You were married before. <laughs> well, I remember the first closing I was in was 1995 because I saw the loan was going to be a... The 30 year would be ending in 2025. I'm like, oh my God, 2025. That's like forever to go. And you know, we'll yeah. probably be dead by 2025. That's so far away. And now here we are, four years away from 2025. And uh, yeah. 30 years goes by in a blink. Mm-hmm. You it, know? Goes, it goes by way too fast. It does. I want to ask one more quick question, Jeff, on appraisals. Sure. We've had Will Humphreys with Vector Appraisals on here on our show. And I know from the lending side, I mean, appraisals right now, because the market has appreciated so quickly, yeah. is an issue. So what when the appraisal comes in less than asking, do you guys reach out to the appraiser at all or do you just let her rip? I mean, is there anything that can happen there? Well, it, it varies. And, and, and first of all, I, we use Will as well in Vector. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're on our approved panel. And so I'm sure he did a great job with, yeah. with the show. But typically when we get, you know, the appraisal comes in, the value's low, you know, immediately you're getting all the interested parties involved and letting them know how they want to proceed. And we start trying to come up with financing solutions. If that's going to ultimately be our our end all value, we are also going ahead and seeing it. Is, is there a way to have a dispute of value? You know, at that point when you're getting the realtors involved, they may be out looking for newer comps to see if we can mm-hmm. submit it to the appraiser. So there are, there are ways to try to get a more accurate value. And, and I caution people that if, you know, be careful what you wish for, because if you do start asking them to reassess a value and also determines there's some new comps that are lower, your new new value could could come back. But more times than not, I don't think we usually see an adjusted value uh, in that case. And so you're really then trying to determine 
are all the parties still involved now knowing what this lower value is? Are there solutions that can be uh, accommodated on the buyer's end? Or are you going back to your client and asking if they want to consider renegotiating the sales price? And so it's a it's a sticky situation to get through uh, right. that has become a lot more prevalent. And I'm sure you've probably got stories where oh, y'all, yeah. y'all have already Just had to work through stuff or or you've walked away. Many times. Uh, it's, it is crazy how much it's impacted the pre-approval process now. And also what type of offers are being accepted by sellers. Most sellers nowadays, specifically in your high demand areas of, of Nashville, they know that price is going to come in and is probably going to be higher than what it may appraise for. And so I would presume they're they're going ahead and trying to address it in, in the offers. So many offers waive appraisals now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, or know, offer that appraisal gap. Yeah. yeah. And so um, you just have to make sure that borrower or buyer yeah. has the money. To mm-hmm. offset the gap. Yeah. And, and and what we're seeing in that dynamic is these buyers are they and they may they may actually do have the money, but then they're still coming to us and saying they want they want to borrow it. Or you may see a, a cash offer, but they're still, you know, buyers going behind the scenes still want to try to go yeah. get, still try to borrow borrow the money. They have the money to pay cash. Right. Uh, but they're they're still their number one preference yeah. is to borrow it, and I get that. Yeah, yeah. two point seven five interest rate. Yeah. I'd borrow the money. Yeah, every, every, right. yeah, I mean it's it's crazy not to, but it does create some time constraints because usually cash offers are they're real short closing times, right? And, and if behind the scenes the buyer does not want to use his own money, you know you you've got a lender scrambling to try to accommodate. Yeah, as much as we can. Yeah, um, but it's a. It is. It's a new world we live in with this whole buyer offer, and I've I, I talked to a broker, and she said we spend more time training our team now in just the whole contract piece and offer buy sell agreement in what are what are, what's the proper way to accept a contract now, and how do we vet the how do we vet the buyers? Mm-hmm. Because you're getting the offers. It's like how do we make sure we're taking the right ones? Yep. And it's not always the highest price. That's right. <laughs> yeah. We we have an intensive spreadsheet that we use. Um, I, I can only on imagine. all that, and uh, it's crazy. It's slowed down quite a bit. I mean, yeah. we're not getting thirty offers on a single property right right now. Although maybe some of our lower price listings have, you yeah. know, that's still going on. But in the, since there's only like a couple in yes, all of Nashville, just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're condos, <laughs> yeah, lower price, and it's still like you know five ninety nine and not two ninety nine. Right. right. You know? right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Real quick, I want to go back a minute to the interest rate because you said second homes, investment property, you're going to have a little bit of higher interest rate, correct. but also condos will have a little bit higher interest the, rate, correct? Typically, so. Mm-hmm. We're what's considered a correspondent lender. Studio Bank is, and meaning that. We close our loans in our name. We fund them, but we sell them to an investor that's offered us the most, typically the most competitive interest rate. And each investor may be a little different in how they price certain types of loans, properties. And so, to your point, some of our investors have higher price rate adjustments to condos than others. Okay. Um, and so, really, yes, by and large, condos typically are going to come with some kind of either higher interest rate or some kind of tighter restriction where they won't do a 95% loan on a condo, only a 90%. Okay. Stuff like that. Okay. So there, there is a lot of moving parts where the condo is concerned, specifically if it's deemed a, a non-warrantable condo. And so then it's that creates all other dynamics that I just usually like freak out, Yeah. you know, because the buyer wants your standard 
two eight seven five thirty or fixed loan. Yeah. I'm like, ah, we're not gonna be able to do that on that kind of <laughs> property. Time, <laughs> so is it about one point higher or a half point higher, or does it just depend because it, on the? It depends because if it if if it's a, a standard warrantable condo and you're not doing jumbo, I can probably still get you the same rate as if it weren't. Okay. So it, it really is case by case Got for it. sure, um, and and investor by investor. It's it's not quite as bad as as I think some lead you to believe because right. they don't want to fool with it. Right. <laughs> yeah. I hear that. So what's your, I mean, you've been lending a long time now. Yes. So what do you love the most about what you do? Be, being able to be involved in probably the single largest financial transaction most people do in their life is is rewarding in its own right. I right. mean, anytime you have the ability to, to help them get in that home, I mean, it doesn't really get much better than that. And along the way, you end up building relationships and friendships for life because typically if you're good at what you do, you know, people are going to come back to you, you know, Mm -hmm. if they, if they trust you and you're consistent in who you are and what you do and you build that trust with them, then they're, then they're a client for life. And I bet you've got people, you've probably Mm -hmm. sat there and, and sold and bought homes with them through their, all the stages of their life. And now their kids. (laughs) And, and, And so we're doing that too. And on the lending side of it, we've got We've got really good loan officers. People have been doing this a while that they do create a customer for life experience and, and end up being that trusted lender for them. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you just watch it. And so it's it's rewarding to to feel like you had a, a part in it just, right. just as much as you do. You know, right. When you're involved in putting them in that home and seeing how how it affects them, you're like, this makes my job a little better. Right, know? right. Yeah. yeah, I probably got yelled at along the way between something and someone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'll remember it's the good stuff. Well, remember the good right. stuff. It's stressful. It's, it is, it is, it's very it stressful. Is, you know, for, it's a very stressful time for your the financial seller. The financial piece of it with anyone is always stressful. And, and, it, and sometimes it becomes even most stressful with your closest friends and family mm-hmm. when you're the one involved. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We and, always say in, for a buyer or seller, it's like you take – a mason jar, and you put in all that financial stress, the emotional stress, and the stress of your home and shelter. Screw it back on, shake it up, and nothing comes out but crazy. You know, and then miraculously at the closing table, the crazy goes back in the jar and come back out. It's just the nuttiest everyone's thing. Good it, again. It, it, yeah, it, everyone's good again. Yeah, everyone's good again. We hear this a lot at, at our bank, and one of the first times I heard it actually came from. Our COO, who's just retired, Larry Doris. Larry, I saw that. He refers, they, he's referred to it, but I think someone else had said it to him that it's, you know, they call it making sausage. You yeah. Know, you really, you really don't want to know what goes into making <laughs> making the sausage. You, yeah. just, you just love the end product. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it fried up. <laughs> so it, it's a great analogy. Uh, yes, it uh, is. For sure, especially for the the people that are involved in the middle of that jar the whole way. Mm-hmm. You, you never know what to expect. Well, sure. I know what to expect. And that's a good experience when we have the opportunity to work with Studio well, Bank. You. you, your team are amazing. Well, we appreciate and that. I love the banking experience there too. So not just the mortgage department, but the whole experience. So um, so grateful that you guys started and uh, so grateful that you came on our show today. Well, I appreciate that. And we're, and we're so grateful that you helped us get started as well. So yeah. thank you, Christy. You're so welcome. Thank y'all. If you guys have any questions, whether it's about mortgage lending or anything real estate related, community related, entrepreneur related, or leadership, feel free to email us at podcast at wilsongrouprealestate.com. And Heather and I will be doing an episode 
on all of your questions. We so will. We can't wait to do that. That's going to be at the end of this season. And type them away, guys. We'll be happy to listen to them. Thanks for tuning in today. Nashville is one of the nation's top three relocation markets. So whether you're moving yourself, your family, or relocating an entire company, our relocation coordinators are here to guide you through the step-by-step process of relocation. We understand there's much more to a move than changing your address and packing. At the Wilson Group Real Estate Services, our relocation coordinators provide a high level of expertise and experience in making sure your move is seamless. So check out our website today at wilsongrouprealestate.com or give us a call. Hey, if you're loving the show, go find that little follow button on your podcast app. This will ensure you won't miss a single episode. Until next time.